0: What's up, everyone? This is Lito, and you're listening to Crypto Testers, a podcast keeping you informed about all the coolest projects in the crypto space. In this episode, I speak with Roxana Dalina, the CTO of Nexus Mutual, one of the hottest projects in the growing crypto insurance vertical. Nexus Mutual brings insurance to the frantic Wide West world of DeFi and allows users to protect themselves against hacks. smart contract bugs in their favorite DeFi apps while continuing to enjoy their high interest rates. What's interesting is that Nexus Mutual itself is also a protocol consisting of smart contracts. Nexus Mutual members pool capital together. Users can then take insurance against that backdrop of capital and Nexus Mutual members earn premiums for capitalizing the mutual. Insurance claims are equally processed by the mutual members as everything happens on-chain. It is a fascinating system, which Roxana explains in very simple terms. But before we jump into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Bitwalla. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They offer users in Europe a full-fledged bank account, including deposit insurance and other things, as well as an integrated Bitcoin and Ethereum wallet. So using Bitwalla, you can move your money seamlessly between your euros and your crypto. They keep on adding new features such as their recently launched Bitcoin interest account, allowing users to earn interest on their Bitcoin. I highly recommend you check them out. I will post a link in the show notes. Hey, Roxanne. Hello. Welcome to the Crypto Testers podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Glad to be here. How are you?
0: I'm also very good. Yeah, this is one of the podcasts for me where half the reason. I reached out to you, was actually to learn more about Nexus Mutual on a personal level, so a bit selfish, but of course I've also researched beforehand, but I'm very curious to learn it firsthand from you. Just as a little preface question, would you say Nexus is complex compared to other protocols like Maker or Aave, or would you say it's the same level of complexity?
1: I think it's definitely on a more complex side of things, both from a product point of view, as well as from a technical point of view.
0: Okay. There are a lot of
1: moving pieces.
0: Yeah. This was also my impression from researching a little bit. I'm glad we're on the same side. So you're the CTO at Nexus, right? That's right. And I saw that you worked in the banking sector before. So what's the story behind your switch into crypto and building Nexus?
1: That's a good question. Well, first of all, I'm an engineer by training. I studied computer science. My banking adventure was quite at the beginning of my career. It was actually a series of internships, so I don't think it's super relevant in my transition to crypto. But to be honest, I found working in a bank extremely boring at the time, at least mm-hmm. in the side of the business that I was in as an engineer. Which is why I, uh, after I graduated, I actually went to work in, in a big tech company, uh, which was a lot faster paced and more interesting. I kind of swore to myself that I'd never work in a bank again at the time.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the reason why so many people from the banking sector switch into crypto, which is actually good for crypto. So then how did you find Nexus?
1: A long story, I actually initially dived into crypto around 2016, started from a Bitcoin Monero angle. And the more time I spent reading and the more it kind of opened new possibilities. It was fascinating because it made me read more around economics and law and like all these things that are fundamental to how we organize ourselves as a society. I was working for Facebook at the time doing something completely unrelated this was just in my spare time fast forward a couple of years in 2019 i decided to quit facebook uh, come back to europe and dive more into crypto eventually i got introduced to Hugh in about a year ago at defi summit in uh, london and we we started working together we thought it's a it was a good mix of his insurance background and my technical background and we thought that would make a good team for Nexus.
0: I'm sure you never regretted your switch into crypto since then, right?
1: Not the moment. Not the moment.
0: Good, good. And so can you explain the difference between a mutual and a normal insurance company? Because as the name says it, Nexus is a mutual, uh, Nexus mutual. So what is the difference there?
1: So Nexus is actually a discretionary mutual which is slightly different to a mutual. But the main difference between traditional insurance, as you know it, and a mutual is that one is shareholder-owned while the other is member-owned. So you can actually think of a mutual as a a club or like a membership organization where we come in together, pool our resources in order to achieve something together. Gotcha. Uh, The word discretionary is important because... Basically, one thing to make clear from the beginning is that Nexus is not an insurance business. We offer discretionary cover, which means we are, you know, this membership organization where the members have the ultimate word to say in paying out claims. When you when you buy cover, you don't buy an insurance policy where you're that's you know legally binding to to be paid, but rather you buy a discretionary cover um, that members end up deciding upon.
0: And why did you choose a mutual then?
1: One of the main reasons is that it's very close to a DAO, which is a you know a native in the crypto world. So it was quite an elegant bridge between the outside world and the crypto world. And at the same time, we wanted to have some sort of uh, regulatory clarity. So we chose to be legally incorporated.
0: Okay. Are mutuals also very popular in the traditional insurance world? Or is it something, I mean, I know that it exists, but is it somewhat of an odd choice or, yeah, quite common?
1: Not as common. Um, honestly, I, <laughs> I'm i not entirely sure on this one, but mutuals, they do exist and they can be regulated as insurance, but I'm not entirely sure how common they are.
0: Gotcha. So is this also the reason that NXM holders NXM being the, the token of the Nexus Mutual protocol, need to be KYC'd before they can buy the token? Because since this is a mutual, they're actually becoming a stakeholder of a legal company, which is Nexus Mutual, the company.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. Becoming a member entails two steps. The first one is that you pay a small membership fee at the beginning, which is your initial contribution to the mutual and then you go through the KYC process which is a legal requirement that we have being incorporated and then you once that's cleared out you become a member and we do keep a registry of all the members that signed up for for legal
0: purposes. Cool okay so how does it work from a user perspective if I want to buy let's say a cover for a deposit, a saving account. So I, I invested some money into Compound, and I want to insure myself against a smart contract bug. How does it work? How do I do? I need NXM for that process, or can I just go to the Nexus Mutual website and and buy cover without any barriers?
1: Right. Uh, you don't need to hold NXM. So first of all, you as of now you'd have to go on our app. Step number one is to become a member, process that we've just covered. You go for KYC, you get approved. At that point, your, your Ethereum address basically gets whitelisted in on, in our smart contracts. In order to buy cover, you don't need to hold an XM. You just need to have either... We offer cover in either Ether or DAI, so you'd end up paying in Ether or DAI, and in case something happens, you'd be paid out as well in, in the same currency on our app you get to select the contract that you want to cover the amount of cover that you want to buy and then the amount of time you want to be covered for so that can be anywhere between 30 days to a year or something you get a quote for that and then you can you just do like a smart contract call that actually assigns you the
0: the cover understood Okay, so you need a little bit of NXM at the beginning, at least to become a member. So I thought that people who purchase covers, they don't need to become members, only the people who insure the protocol, only the stakers. But also, so people who want to buy cover also need to become a member, go through the whole KYC process.
1: They do, but just to clarify, you have to be a member to interact with any part of the system, basically. But you don't need to buy an XM in order to have cover.
0: Okay. And then who is the typical user for Nexus? Because my feeling is that people in crypto are mostly degens uh, when I look on Twitter who don't really care too much about risk. They really just want to maximize their returns. So who is the typical user and do you have a lot of demand for cover?
1: We've actually seen this evolving in time as the DeFi space changed. And I would say we have a, a couple of stereotypes of users. One is your average retail user that you know, has a loan on Compound or another platform and they want to protect themselves. The other type of user we've seen is protocol owners. You are just launching a protocol or you have a protocol out there for a while and you want to protect your users in case something bad happens with your smart contracts. We've seen a few of those too. And then it goes all the way up to more institutional type users. Um, let's say VC style people that buy cover for the protocols that they invest in.
0: So a little bit more sophisticated traders or investors who yeah, want to be on the cautious side and not take exactly. too much risk. Okay. And protocol owners, that's interesting. So let's say the team behind Compound could purchase some cover to minimize the risk for its users in case there is a smart contract bug, but then the individual Compound users would not be insured. It would be the protocol that would get the money from Nexus in case something goes wrong. And then It would be on compound to distribute the money they received to its users or how would it work in practice
1: yeah that's that you're exactly right so basically the payout uh, in case of a claim the payout would go to the cover owner which in this case would be the protocol and it's up to them to then distribute to their end users
0: okay so how does it work then from a back-office perspective let's say I lose my money on compound due to a bug what is the process is there an automated payout do i immediately receive money from nexus or is there yeah manual claims assessment
1: there is a voting process uh, known in our app as claim assessment so basically if an event happened you go back on our app you see the list of covers that you have active at the time and you just submit a claim, which is, you know, just press a button, do a smart contract call, and you submit a claim. Once a claim is raised, it's up to the mutual members to get together and decide if the claim should be paid out or not. And there are a couple of things that I think are worth noting at this point. Um, when you buy cover on Nexus, you are covered against smart contract bugs. That means unintended behavior of the smart contract. Like an example of that would be you have a fail-safe mechanism encoded in your smart contract, but because of a bug that you have, it fails to trigger when it should have triggered, which leads to loss of funds for the protocol. And when a claim comes in, the claim assessors who are members have to, it's a little bit of a, uh, it's a process that's not, not very guided. It's kind of up to people to, do their research figure out what happened if it was a bug and decide for themselves if it was a bug or not? We've had one of these events actually happening, which was a, a very nice to, very interesting to see this working in for real. Mm-hmm. Back in March, uh, BZX had a smart contract bug that led to loss of funds for their users we had a bunch of uh, covers bought on the protocol and uh, some of those cover owners actually submitted a claim. And uh, in the first stage of this, in in the first phase, there's just not enough information for claim assessors to make a decision because it was just, you know, the first tweet came out and someone submitted a claim straight away. And the initial theory was that the loss of funds was due to an arbitrage like external factors, basically external manipulated data that ended up in this incident. The first claim was denied. And then as new information came in, the cover owners submitted another claim that actually got accepted. And what's really magic about this is that in the moment when the voting process ends, which lasts for one or two days, the payout is automatically triggered by the smart smart contract and sent directly to the user's wallet.
0: That's cool. You said some submitted a claim, but not. what is the reason not everyone who had cover on the BZX protocol submitted a claim?
1: That's a good question. There are two addresses that didn't submit. I would assume they didn't lose money directly uh, and they were not aware of what was going on.
0: Okay. And the claim assessor team, is that a small team or is everyone, every NXM holder a claim assessor and can vote on uh, yeah, whether a claim is valid or not?
1: Any member can become a claim assessor by locking a portion of their NXM. Basically, we want to make sure that we create the right incentives for the members to do the right thing when they vote, which is why we think it's important for them to have some skin in the game when making this call. So the process is that anybody can Go stake some NXM vote, and if enough tokens are being staked, were locked out, and enough, and the consensus is reached, then the voting finishes. In case the consensus is not reached among this, you know, small group of uh, claim assessors, uh, the voting opens up to all the members of the mutual.
0: Okay, and yeah, you mentioned that they have to lock NXM. So how much is that, first of all?
1: It's up to them, but their vote is weighted based on the NXM that they
0: lock. Okay. Yeah, and uh, my follow-up question was how are they incentivized to vote in a, uh, let's say, honest manner?
1: First of all, because you lock in these tokens, if you vote against consensus or if you vote against the right thing long-term for the mutual, you do have these tokens locked in for, for a period of time. So there is this small number of members called the advisory board of the mutual that can actually end up burning your locked tokens in case you. Uh, it was obvious that you were trying to be malicious in your voting process.
0: OK. But if you if vote voted as the minority, if you take the minority choice, but it wasn't a malicious attempt, you just didn't know better. Let's say I'm a claim assessor and I vote on the BZX hack, but I'm not very technical. I I don't understand 100% what happened. Would my locked NXM also be burned in that case, or is it really just- No, no, just... no. Okay.
1: No, definitely not. There's just a mechanism to prevent uh, direct attacks to the voting process. But if you just vote with minority, because that's what you wanted to vote, that's that's fine. We've actually seen that happening. The other thing you can think about is that if claim assessors get together and decide, hey, this is a pretty big claim, we shouldn't pay it out, that has long-term bad consequences on the mutual.
0: Right. Because, yeah, because
1: yeah. Uh, there is a reputation loss. And as a long-term holder of the token, you would end up suffering from from this decision, which is another incentive for you to, to do the right thing.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay, and so as a NXM stakeholder, so NXM stakeholders, again, are members of the mutual, they can stake their NXM against individual smart contracts and earn fees from all the purchases, all the covers that are taken upon that specific smart contract. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. This is what's called in traditional insurance, the underwriting. So basically a group of people come in and take the other side of the risk. Someone buys cover and someone kind of in a way bets that that contract is secure. That's what at the end of the day, the staking is.
0: Okay. And if I have NXM tokens, but I don't stake my NXM tokens, I I just hold them in in my wallet, then I don't earn any fees?
1: No, you don't earn any, any fees. Well, if the mutual goes, uh, There is no, you you don't earn any fees if you don't stake them. There are a couple of actions that could earn you fees. One is the claim assessment we discussed earlier, users to get rewarded for the effort of assessing a claim. There is participation in governance. Uh, The protocol works, you know, as a DAO, people vote for the new features that get implemented, and you do get a bunch of rewards there. And then there is this staking process, which is in a way similar to other, I don't know, liquidity mining programs out there in DeFi. But you come in, you lock your funds, you can leverage, so use the same deposit on multiple contracts, and you get like 50% of all the premiums paid are distributed proportionally among the stakers.
0: Okay. And as a staker, how do I then assess the risk behind every smart contract? How do I decide which one to stake on if I yeah, don't have too much technical knowledge about how much risk there really is behind Compound or behind Maker? Is there any clues that you give uh, to, to help stakers to make the right decisions?
1: That's a very good uh, question, actually. Right now, the information is uh, quite minimal. We point people to the GitHub of the projects, which obviously involves, a, makes the assumption that there is some, you know, technical sophistications of the users. We do share the security audit. So basically every time we list a new project for cover, we do a due diligence on our side and try to avoid anything that is a straight up scam. We look into the security audits of the projects on, you know, the history of the team and the project and so on. And we present all this information back to the stakers. We are looking into adding in more signals like DeFi scores built by uh, other teams in the community and so on. But at the end, given that when you stake, you put your own funds at risk, the final decision goes to the staker. And some people just come in and they want to make a profit and they just look at the previous APY of the contracts and they use that to guide their decision. But there are also more technical people that spend more time getting in depth to the projects. And we've definitely seen that the more battle-tested a contract is, the more likely it is for people to stake on it, which makes bootstrapping new protocols a bit challenging.
0: Yeah. And is the risk shared between the different smart contracts? If, for example, I stake on Compound and then there's a bug on Aave, am I then unaffected? financially by the bug in Aave and the loss of funds in the Nexus mutual protocol because i only staked on Compound or is is the risk somewhat shared among the different smart contracts
1: The risk is not shared because we well we assume that most of these protocols are non correlated technically so unless there are two protocols that share some code that was the had the bug and they both get impacted otherwise you you wouldn't uh, th- they wouldn't basically influence each other however if you decide to leverage your uh stake so with the same amount of NXN tokens you stake them on both compound and ave if ave is hacked then all your stake is basically impacted because at the end of the day is the same tokens that you used for both of them
0: okay yeah that makes sense and How is the price of a cover determined? Does it become cheaper when there's lots of people staking and securing the contract? Or is there some other, is it a fixed price for every cover that the user wants? Because you could argue that how many people stake against the contract is also a sign of how secure it is. So the insurance should be cheaper, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's the main signal we use right now, the amount of NXM tokens staked on a single contract. Basically, that determines two things. One, the price. And the more stake there is, the lower the price. And it goes all the way down to around 2.6% of the cover amount per year. So if you have, if you buy a cover of a hundred ETH for one year on compound the minimum price you would get for that would be 2.6 uh, ETH.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned the premiums that you can earn when you stake against the contract. Can you give some ballpark figures or some examples of, of returns that stakers have received, maybe some yeah average or maybe some uh, very high examples would be interested to know how lucrative it is to, to be a staker?
1: It varies widely because it's so related to the demand at the end of the day. So the more cover is being bought, the higher the returns. I just opened up the staking dashboard to, to see some numbers. Mm-hmm. They vary anywhere between 2% up to 12% right now. But bear in mind that this is strictly past data that we're looking at and not, uh, not necessarily an indication of future
0: returns in any way. OK, now that we've covered the basics of Nexus, could you explain the concept behind the continuous token model? Because the NXM price, as far as I understand, doesn't derive its price simply from market demand and supply, but it yeah uses a bonding curve. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure if I understood that correctly. Could you explain the the mechanics behind that and why it's so important for the protocol?
1: Of course. So as you mentioned, the price is not purely given by the market, but it's actually a, a bonding curve, which at the end of the day is a mathematical formula that determines the price based on a couple of things. The two very important items in determining the token price are the minimum capital that we need to cover uh, for the active covers that we have in the system versus the total amount of funds that we have in the protocol so the whole goal of this continuous model is to capitalize the system to the right level so when when the amount of funds we have in the pool are very close to the amount we would have to pay for the covers that we have sold the token price decreases so it incentivizes investors to come in and buy cuz they get you know a good price as we start having excess capital way more than we actually need the price increases to incentivize people to exit uh as we want to operate in the most efficient possible way with the capital we have available
0: okay yeah that actually makes a lot of sense but at the moment for example the price of NXM has uh, decreased a little bit. So is is that then a, a function of capital in the Nexus mutual protocol that has decreased? Or what is the cause here?
1: If we look purely at the NXM price compared to ETH, because the majority of our, the funds in the pool are in ETH, and that's what we report to, then what we see right now is that the amount of ETH in the pool decreased and it got very closed with the minimum capital that we need for the covers that uh, have been sold on the system. So right now we want people to actually, like the price decreased, so we want people to uh, come and get in more more capital in the pool to be able to keep the balance to the other side of the curve, to put it this way.
0: What is the incentive to come in? You said like the system capitalizes itself when the NXM price is low because people have an incentive to come in as yeah, NXM trades at a cheap price, uh, quote unquote. But w- what makes it attractive to, to come in at that point? Is it the, the because the fees collected by the protocol stay constant or because you could also say, okay, the NXM price goes down. And the reason behind that is that there's less capital being pooled or staked and so people could also think okay this is a sinking ship or something maybe i don't go in anymore what makes it attractive regardless of a sinking price
1: when it comes to the price like i i can't really speculate on on that aspect but what does make it attractive now is this it is exactly this bonding curve approach where you know if more capital comes in it does push the the price higher on that bonding curve that we keep talking about. Now, when it comes to um, us as a team, what we are focusing on at the moment, regardless of where the price is and what's happening out there, is distribution and sales. What's important for us is to make sure that we sell as much cover as we can which ultimately generates more fees, which ultimately generates more rewards for the stakers, which ultimately makes it more attractive for stakers to you know, buy tokens and lock them in for, for those higher rewards. And it kind of creates this positive feedback loop and keeps things moving up.
0: So since you have this minimum capital requirement, so this kind of constrains how much cover you can sell because you can only sell as much as you also have funds to cover in case there's a bug. So in practice, do you often reach this limit where you would like to sell more cover? There's more demand on the market, but you're limited by the funds you have, by how many people stake, or do you still have more capacity to sell cover?
1: We've definitely seen that happening in this most recent, let's call it bull run, where we were sold out on literally every protocol that we have. That is not uh, the case anymore. Like cover sales have definitely slowed down with the market slowing down. So right now there is quite a bit of capacity available, which is why our main focus stays on increasing awareness and distribution of Nexus Mutual. Mm
0: -hmm. And I saw there was a proposal to create some more long-term alignment between nxm holders and the protocol so to say where nxm holders who locked their token for a certain amount of months i think in the proposal it was 12 months they would earn more revenue or there would be some nxm inflation that would go to these long-term aligned stakeholders is that also a reaction against all these yeah people who took their NXM tokens out or the ETH out and led to a decrease in the NXM price?
1: That's a good question. We generally believe and we've been tinkering with this idea for a while that the mutual operates best when most of its members are long term into this. And there are a couple of things around getting high signal from you know a group of people that's committed long term for the good of the protocol. there is also the governance aspect of the protocol where we think it would work better if a a group of people who is locked in for the long term or is involved for the long term like votes in governance and decides on some of the upgrades coming in. So it's not a totally new idea that for us internally we've been discussing this in various shapes and forms. Yeah, in a way, it it has been, uh, we decided to post it now um, also as a a reaction to what was happening. This is, the the main goal was to get a conversation started with a community rather than actually do anything in the short term. It's just a, you know, one way that this could go, but not necessarily. And we're quite happy on the level of engagement and that people chimed in with various opinions and the conversation is moving
0: forward. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. So people who are willing to stake their nXM for a certain time period then receive higher rewards. Where does this additional nXM come from? Is it inflation or fees paid by people who purchase cover?
1: In this particular proposal that you pointed to, it would be uh, they would be minted. So yeah, it, it's a form of inflation for
0: yeah for the and then for, we'll,
1: for the people who log in.
0: That inflation would be something new for the protocol, right?
1: No, yeah, that would be that. Yeah, that's that would be something new. That's true,
0: actually. Okay, and because if I'm not mistaken, there is already a three months lockup period when you stake against contracts. So I staked against five contracts, and when I wanted to unstake again, it told me that I, well, it's also had warnings before, so no critics on that. It said mm-hmm. that I have to leave them for. Three months, and I guess there the reason is that you don't want people to unstake as soon as they hear there was a bug, and yeah, then uh, it would be too easy if everyone could just leave and get their money out uh, the moment there's a claim to yeah. pay. So yeah, that's
1: exactly right.
0: Yeah, so there is already a sort of long-term alignment, but you think that increasing this to six months or twelve months would make this even more attractive?
1: So on the stake, when you stake and you are locked on a period of time, you get rewards, but you also put your funds in a way at risk, right? In case something happens on one of those contracts, you could potentially lose all or part of your original deposit. With this long-term locking mechanism, um, it's kind of a different risk profile. You wouldn't put your funds at risk unless you decide to also stake the funds that are locked. But Mm -hmm. some of the discussions that I really liked on that proposal were around, you know, how can we improve the incentives we currently have for stakers and for other, you know, claim assessors or stakers in particular, because they're locked in for a longer amount of time. How can we tweak the dynamics there? So staking becomes more and more attractive and that would eventually lead to the same effects. And it's probably also a healthier way to get there.
0: And just to summarize one last time to see if I got this. So the, the reason that you have a continuous token model is that in times where, for example, you have had to pay a lot of yeah money out because there was a big bug or something, in that case, the funds that the protocol owns would decrease and the price of NXM would also decrease and then new people would come in because the price is low and it's a good opportunity to get in and this would recapitalize the protocol. Is is that right or what is the, the main reason you chose this model?
1: Yeah, I think you, you summarized it perfectly, actually. That's exactly how, what, what I meant initially when I say that this continuous token model uh, is meant to capitalize the system to the right level whenever we uh, it goes, you know, when the capital is too little or too much, to put it this way.
0: Yeah. Quick shout out to our sponsor, Stakewise.io. Stakewise is a really cool ease to staking provider. They take care of all the heavy lifting involved in the staking process. Basically, they offer two options to stake. pool staking, where you can stake any amount and you can withdraw your staked ease at any point or solo staking where you need a minimum of 32Es and you have your own validator node hosted by Stakewise and maintained by Stakewise, but you also have full control over the funds. So there's two options depending on your needs and preferences. I really recommend you check them out at stakewise.io. They have an incentivized testnet going on at the moment where you can get familiar with the user experience of the whole staking process using fake ETH or testnet ETH, and they will go live with a production app in the next couple of weeks. And then you you also have something quite new on the protocol, which is shield mining, I think is the the term. And I've seen this, for example, on the keep contract, where if you would stake your nxm tokens against the keep contract you'd not only earn nxm tokens but also keep tokens so keep is a bitcoin derivative on ethereum a bit like wbtc but yeah a bit different more more decentralized and can you explain how that works the shield mining what the goal behind it is and if we can expect more of these sort of corporations coming in the future
1: uh, right. Yeah, shield mining was designed as a way to partner with new protocols that want to have cover available to their users. Like as I mentioned earlier, it's a little bit tricky to bootstrap initially the capacity, like for a new protocol, and this is meant to incentivize stakers to get in early when a new protocol launches. So how this works is that the team behind each of the, the behind the protocol allocates a part of their native token to NXM holders to incentivize them to back up their protocol on Nexus. The the first partnership of this form was with TBTC. They uh, put down uh, 100,000 keep tokens for NXM stakers that were distributed weekly over time and we do have a couple of new partnerships in the pipeline and we'll hopefully announce the next one actually very soon i think it's it's an interesting mechanics to kind of uh yeah incentivize takers to to get in early so we can you know bootstrap capacity for cover on on these new protocols
0: absolutely is the partnership or the shield mining program with tbdc already over because i'm wondering how how useful how how effective this um Initiative is because I'm wondering if people will leave immediately after the the rewards stop, so the the TBTC mm-hmm. or the the keep uh, token rewards, or if they actually then stick around because that would be what you would hope for if you just want to bootstrap the system. You you want like a long term you want long term stakers and not just people who reap the the rewards and then leave.
1: Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, the reward uh, distribution on keep is still ongoing there is like a second round basically that is ongoing right now and looks like it's gonna be going for for a bit from now on which means i don't have enough data points right now to see how how successful this was in terms of making stakers stick around the bet here is that the original shield mining rewards incentivize to get in early but then you create a whole bunch of capacity for cover which means new covers should be bought regularly and keep driving rewards on on that protocol Mm -hmm. so i guess we can touch base again in a in a couple of weeks on when this first experiment finishes and and see how it went
0: yeah we'll definitely make a
1: a broader announcement and you know a retrospective of of how this went and um publish it out there
0: yeah cool so what do you think are the main advantages to have a mutual as an entity on the blockchain with using smart contracts and tokens and all of that, do you think there is some inherent advantage of it being on the blockchain? I mean, of course, the kind of insurance that you're offering, smart contract insurance, it would, I don't even know if there are centralized companies that offer it. So maybe it's Darren. the only. Yeah, there aren't, right? So maybe it's the only form that works specifically for smart contract insurance. But do you think in general there's some benefit of having an insurance on the blockchain?
1: Right, yeah. Well, first of all, Everything that happens on, you know, Ethereum blockchain, at least if we take it, is extremely tr- transparent. It can be audited. You can see exactly what's the status. If a smart contract says that you will be paid out when this claim is accepted, you will be paid out. Uh, compared to traditional insurance, that a lot takes, you know, a lot more time for decisions to be made, and then there is always a quirk to the terms and conditions that you signed up on originally. And all that stuff. But in in the form of a mutual, like uh, the way we we design this, what's really interesting is that you can cover very quickly new types of risk. Because of this staking mechanism, you could stake on anything and offer cover on anything. So as long as you have stakers willing to, to bet for something, and as long as you can price that risk, sky is the limit. You could start offering insurance, or well, you can start offering cover on a, a wide variety of uh, offer risks straight away. And the time to market is really is really low as well compared to traditional insurance, where you need you know, at least 18 months to two years worth of data uh, to start pricing in a new risk and to start thinking about putting a new product out there. That's one of the massive advantages. Mm. The other one is the how quick the payout goes to the user. Like it's if an event happens in two days, you you get your payout compared to weeks to months in 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 the traditional
0: yeah. uh, way. Other funds staked in the Nexus Mutual Protocol are they also invested in other parts of DeFi, for example, generating returns in Compound or something? Because I know that is one of the main sources of revenue of traditional insurances. They use a lot of the money to invest and and generate returns. Can Nexus also do this, or is this not possible?
1: It can. The funds are not invested at the moment. We are actually working on a uh, smart contract upgrade where we will enable this functionality. Now the question uh, that's really tricky is why do you invest in? As long as you offer cover for compound, putting your reserves into compound is probably not a good idea because in case something happens with compound, you don't have money to pay covers anymore because yeah. your whole, uh, your own funds are at risk. We opened recently uh, a discussion on our forum on this topic, and it's still uh, it's still a question on what's the best. Like one of the very obvious avenues, given that a big part of our reserves are in ETH, is ETH 2.0 staking. Mm. We also have a part of the funds in DAI right now, because you can buy cover in DAI as well. Back in the day, there's like the DSR the, that would generate yield on the DAI, uh, which is pretty much zero at the moment. So that's not really an option. But we are we're still brainstorming on what are the right assets to diversify to our pool right now.
0: Yeah. In the case of East 2.0 staking, how would that be done? Would you then partner with a centralized company offering staking, or would you run validator nodes yourself as a protocol?
1: That's a good question. We haven't really started investigating this avenue. We like to stick to our core business because otherwise it distracts you from you know, your core product if you start running a... Running a validator is a is a whole task on its own to make sure it has the right uptime and all that stuff.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and since, since we talked about insurance in, in general and how blockchain lends itself to this activity, do you imagine more types of insurances coming onto the blockchain? Maybe mu- other mutuals, but that cover each other's uh, yeah, health insurance or something like that. Or is that still very far away?
1: Depending on your time horizon, I don't think it's very far away. Years, for sure, not months, years. But I think it's totally doable to... There are a couple of things in the ecosystem that have to um, develop in order to be able to access the outside world. Usability being the main one. Like As long as you can abstract away... Much of the complexity, and as long as fees for usage of the network are reasonable, there is definitely a path to going out there. And one of the cool things about Nexus is that I can imagine a, a world where specialists in a certain industry set up their own business on top of the mutual, and they can access the whole liquidity that we have, but you know, get together their own—I don't know—experts in that industry and. Um, and build
0: a whole business on top of it. Yeah, and and one of the things that need to mature also is, I think, a way to access also information that exists in the outside world. For example, if you have health insurance, how do I prove that if I submit a claim and say I I went to the doctor because I'm sick, how do I prove that on the blockchain that I'm sick? This this probably would uh, still cause problems, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Oracles are a really, a really hard problem to solve. Yeah, But industries where things are easier to verify are definitely higher on the list. Then, when things get subjective, it's a bit
0: hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the first meetups or conferences that I went to in my crypto journey was actually of an insurance company. They're called Etherisk and they mm-hmm. were doing parametric insurance. So this is kind of the only type of insurances that can already be built today on the blockchain because they pay out a claim based on a certain event. For example, if the weather turns out really bad and a farmer, a farmer's crop is destroyed, then the Oracle or the smart contract will pull that information from the outside world and then automatically pay out. So I think these very like basic... Use cases can already be built, but not yeah more complex stuff, I guess.
1: That's for sure, yeah.
0: Are you also looking into these other types of insurances or more focused on the smart contract insurance, which is already a big a big project, I guess?
1: Uh, eventually, on the long term, the vision is to be able to go into more mainstream use cases as well. Funny thing is that this project originally way before I started or I joined the project actually started as a earthquake insurance project so it is inspired by more mainstream use cases it kind of like it found a product market fit within defi and it grew with it but we definitely want to explore other industries as well as time goes by
0: Do you feel like the sector is heating up there's a lot of interest, well, on the demand side, but also more companies building solutions in that space?
1: Yeah, that's that's for sure. I, I think this summer kind of brought insurance in DeFi uh, in the attention of a lot of uh, people. And we are seeing new companies arising and, you know, competitors starting to build up new solutions, which I think it's overall a good thing for the space. It means the space is maturing. And if you think about it, Nexus so far at its peak this summer managed to cover about 3% of the whole DeFi, of the whole funds locked in DeFi. So we have a very long way to go.
0: Would it be theoretically possible to cover all the funds locked in DeFi?
1: Good question. Theoretically Probably, yes, depending on how you count funds locked in DeFi. Yeah,
0: yeah. okay, because ETH itself is not DeFi, I guess, so I guess it it really depends on how you count it. But if DeFi grows really big, it would, I guess, at some point also reach a theoretical limit.
1: At some point, maybe. The, The thing is that you need to... As one entity, uh, there is only as much risk as you can take on one single protocol. So, in in our case, at least, we can nicely scale vertically. But the vertical limit is the amount of funds that are locked in the pool. So there are like theoretical limits coming in there. But in terms of the whole DeFi space, you know, if you have ETH locked to generate uh, as collateral to other token that then gets locked into something else that generates another token and so on and so forth, how do you count the amount of
0: yeah, that's the value I mean.
1: locked in total?
0: Yeah, that was super interesting. Maybe just to wrap it up, what are the next items on the roadmap of, of Nexus Mutual in the next three to six months?
1: We have a few improvements coming up right now in terms of uh, enabling investments of the assets in the pool. And a few more like infrastructure-related stuff, but then the really big things are new insurance products. Well, this pressure cover, but uh, basically, new new products out there. We are exploring the options space as well, like something similar to Opin, let's say. We are also looking at enabling more custom covers for different products. We. Put recently a proposal in the maker governance to to build up a product that's you know specific to the type of risk that they are seeing, and uh, we're working on a few more small things to enable basically any product to uh, to open up the the possibilities for the product design space.
0: Okay, so could you imagine also working closely with consumer facing products like wallets, for example, to Enable very easy purchases of of cover, or maybe even the consumer facing app buying cover automatically. So uh, kind of creating like a FDIC insured saving account automatically, without the user even yeah having to do anything yeah. manually to to buy insurance. Because one of the big counter arguments often when you tell people about the nice yields in in DeFi is that okay, but my money is not insured when I have it in, in my bank account. In Europe, we have uh, something where it's insured up until 100,000 euros. I think in the US, they have something similar. So mm. it could be easy to, to build something similar in DeFi, right?
1: That's actually something we are really focused on starting. Like We've already starting the building blocks in that direction. We want more native integrations in, in various protocols. We want people to, we want this product to become a no-brainer for everybody who's uh, playing around and exploring the high yields in the space. And for that, we're working on both partnerships with aggregators, wallets, uh, protocols, and so on, but also building the technical blocks to make it even easier to natively integrate and you know become more, as easy as possible to add it into any product out there.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm uh, looking forward to that. I will finally be able to convince my mother to invest in DeFi maybe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great.
0: No, but that sounds like a nice roadmap. I'm looking forward and will definitely leave my money uh, or my NXM staking in, in the protocol then. Well, thank you very, very much. It was a pleasure to have you and I learned a lot.
1: It was great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, it's me again. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family or give us a follow on on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you have some feedback, reach out to me. I'd love to hear it.